Good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful, beautiful morning it is, even though it's been a little chilly. The sunshine on the snow, uh, I don't know about you, but it's definitely, it helps me, and I love seeing it. It's a great morning to be in the house of the Lord and worshiping God. Uh, can't get enough of it, and uh, especially that last song, love to tell the story. Well, let's get that into our bones. Uh, that's, that's part of what we do as being uh, part of a church, part of the church of Jesus Christ, God's church. We've been talking about the church since the beginning of the year, actually since last year, December 31st. The uh, question was posed, how can the church succeed in 2024? And the answer to that question was given. Do what the church has done since the church first did it. And so we've been looking back to the beginnings of the church, the start of the church, uh, the book of Acts, and what the church was doing when the church first did it. And we've looked at some of the characteristics that made that church successful, and it's continued for 2,000-plus years. The church was one united body. Read back then how they, they were just totally together in everything, and they were in awe of what God was doing to form the church. And that unified body, that one body, was devoted to reading the scripture, studying the word of God, praying together, living together, sharing their possessions. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And that was the end of Acts chapter 2. It gives us a touch on what they were doing spiritually and some things a bit materially. We looked at some practical applications. We looked um, a few decades later into the history of the church. We went into the book of Romans, and specifically Romans chapter 12, which has just uh, some great practical advice for Christian living. And we contrasted what the church was first doing to what some of the big denominational churches are doing today and uh, some of them, they've abandoned the foundations of the faith. They are uh, really calling what's, uh, what's sin righteous. They're calling what's wrong right. Uh, they've broken away from the mooring of truth that is the word of God. They've created this man-made gospel and man-made doctrines which do not reflect uh, the heart of God at all. And it's a lie. It's a lie that these churches are... Uh, purporting and putting before people, and it's just the heart of man promoted above the heart of God. And uh, we, we talked about that. It's, it was all based on uh, some notion of God's unconditional love that grants everything. Uh, but the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus is expressed in his kindness and his compassion, but without compromise. That's Jesus. He he did not, uh, he, he just didn't water down people's sin and say it was okay. He, he called it out. He said, don't sin anymore, but he was loving and co compassionate. And that's the love that was expressed in the first church. And we went on to discuss last week how uh, the church continued to form and it, uh, it became organized. And I know some chafe at the idea of organized religion and such, but the early church was 
anything but chaotic and it wasn't some free form movement. It was organized and it was planned and it was purposed by Jesus. He is building the church. And that implies order and uh, he's put in place hierarchy and structure and leadership, but roles for everyone, roles for everyone because every single part is necessary and important. And today we're, we continue talking about the church and uh, in the direction on the topic of material things. And that, and that means money. That means finances. How did the church first handle finances when the church first did it. So let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Let's go to the end of Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people had just been added to the church. It had just formed. It was, it was birthed in the uh, first part of Acts chapter 2. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, read this way. It says, all the believers, now this was about 3,000, 3,000 plus. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there, again, uh, we're at the, uh, the start. We are at the start, the beginning of the church, and we read about a togetherness, a bond, a common bond of faith in Jesus Christ. And these, uh, these believers were gathering in the temple courts, coming together, gathering in homes. And in this early Acts chapter 2 church, believers sold property and possessions so that no one in the church would lack. So in this first church, there was an elaborate sense of giving. This was um, not under compulsion either. Nobody was forced in this. There wasn't any rule or edict put in place. They weren't operating under any law. There was not some uh, tradition that had been established. There was anything in the teaching of the apostles at this point. How were they operating? They were operating under grace. The grace of the Holy Spirit had touched these lives. The grace of the Holy Spirit had been poured out. And these new converts to Christ, what did they do? This is, this is the impact of their lives being transformed. This is the impact of Jesus saving their souls for eternity. What did they do? They sold their earthly possessions. They sold property and home, and they shared all these gains with other members of this church. Now, remember, this is the first church. This was all Jewish people. 3,000 plus Jewish people. These were observant Jews. They had been in the city of Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost, the feast day. So they were observant to making the pilgrimage to the temple to honor the feast day. They were followers of the Jewish laws. They were faithful to 
all the, the, the rules, but then they had come to Christ. And this outpouring of grace that had touched their hearts, it changed the way that they lived. It changed the way uh, they operated their lives, and that included how they handled their finances. The generosity of the Holy Spirit had touched them. And this resulted in, in their just freely being generous with, with others. And there was no command. This wasn't because of some uh, command that they were accustomed to. And, and that was part of the, the Jewish faith. It was many rules and regulations, and especially if they were under the Pharisaical uh, leaders who were the, the leaders at the time, it was follow this rule, do this, do this, do this. But they weren't operating under this. It was grace. The grace of God had touched their hearts. Now the law, the law that they had followed, yeah, it specified tithes. But the spirit of grace had moved them to pour out way beyond the rules. Way beyond. And at the end uh, 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 of Acts 2, this, this church now is, is moving. And this spirit of generosity continued. And I, I'll give you some examples. We roll into Acts chapter 4. And there's an account that says, at the end of Acts 4, from time to time, those who own land or houses, they sold them and they brought the proceeds and just placed them at the apostles' feet. And then there's a specific example, a guy named Barnabas. He was a Cyprian. He sold uh, uh, some property that he had on Cyprus and he brought all the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. Later, as, as we get through the book of Acts and time's going on in the church, we get to Acts chapter 16. And Paul is in the city of uh, Philippi, and there is the household of Lydia. She's born again, baptized. Her whole household's baptized. And what does she do? She insists that the apostles come to her house. You need to stay at my house. There's this, this giving of hospitality that's going on. Again, nobody's pushing it. It's just grace being touching lives. At the, at the end of Acts chapter uh, 16, or as you get further along in there, Paul and Silas are in prison. And something occurs where the doors are unlocked. And the, the jailer is frightened. But what results is this Paul, he loves to tell the story. He loves to tell the story. And he tells the jailer the story. And this guy gets, he's born again. His household's baptized too. This night, it was this, this wild night of miracle where the jails were open, but his whole family comes to Christ. What does this Roman jailer do for Paul and Silas who were Jews in his jail, who had been beaten and tortured and locked up? He brings them into his very own house and he washes their wounds and he puts a meal before them. This is some extravagant hospitality from a Roman guy who had a jail and, and these were his Jewish prisoners. I mean, this is unheard of. But what happened? He had been touched by the grace of the Holy Spirit. His heart had been changed and boom, he sees things differently. And he's, he's suddenly just generous to these people that, had, that he had locked up. Get to Acts chapter 19. 
all the apostles in the city of Ephesus now. He stayed there two years. He had been teaching and preaching. People were getting baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. What occurred? The whole local economy was threatened. The Christians had changed the way that they were spending their money. Acts chapter 19 speaks to this guy named Demetrius, a silversmith. And Demetrius, the silversmith, he gathers his fellow craftsmen, and he says, hey, listen, we make these idols. We make silver idols of the goddess um, uh, what's her name? Diana is the, the Roman name. Artemis. Artemis was the, uh, the Greek name. Artemis, the, the goddess. She had a temple in Ephesus. And the silversmiths, they make these idols out of silver and sell them. Demetrius is saying, hey, all, all my fellow craftsmen, our livelihoods are being threatened. This Paul guy's preaching this new uh, faith in Jesus, and he, Demetrius says it's touched the entire province of Asia, not just the city of Ephesus, and this is gonna mess us up. Our livelihoods are being threatened. Why? Because the Christians were no longer going to be putting money towards the, the idols. A riot ensued in Ephesus because of this, because the grace of the Holy Spirit had affected the way that people were handling their finances. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The new has come. The old is gone. And uh, Paul wrote that uh, when he wrote his second letter to the Corinthians. Well, the new has come. What? A new heart. A new spirit. A new outlook on life. A new way of living. And that includes how people looked at their wallets. And there was a lot of giving. There was a lot of giving, a lot of sharing going on throughout the book of Acts. And, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about giving. And we don't talk about giving here very much. And I know, don't get anxious. If, you, if you're new, you're visiting, don't get anxious. We do not espouse some prosperity theology here. That's, that's, that's not what we preach uh, I will not be asking for a special seed faith offering. No. You know, that is ravenous wolves. That's what that prosperity theology is that, that a, a preacher tells you, you write a check for 10, God will hundredfold it for you. You know, he'll turn it into a thousand. That is a ravenous wolf. And 2 Corinthians says they are peddling the word of God to gain their own profit. And, and, and we're, we're not going to preach that. I, I, saw, I saw this one guy you know, preaching about, he had all kinds of special numbers. You know, there's 66 books in the Bible. Write a check for $66. What is that about? And then he had 112. I don't even know where the 112 came from. I have no idea, right? But if you wrote a check to him for $112, he would pray a special prayer of a uh, hundredfold anointing on that. So your 112 would, whatever, turn into 11,200. This is not the way God operates. That is a ravenous wolf. 
who is peddling the word of God and manipulating it for his own profit and gain. And that's not what we're preaching here. And that is not how the blessing of God operates. It just isn't. Do we believe God blesses? Of course we do. Do we believe God blesses us when we're generous? Absolutely. When we're open-handed and we're not tight-fisted? Yeah, God blesses, but his blessings are not this dollar-for-dollar dollar, you know, stuff that you'll see on uh, you know, some of these peddlers of the word of God. No, God blesses, and he blesses in all, all sorts of ways. He, he blesses spiritually, and he blesses financially. He does things in our lives that are just marvelous, and they're amazing, but they are not based on a gimmick. They're not based on a formula. God just blesses, and he blesses all types of our giving and serving and hospitality and helping and ministering to people. These are all forms of giving, and of course, giving of our means and our resources too. And it seems that sometimes it's easier to encourage someone to give of their uh, time or to minister in a certain place, but man, if we start talking about money, it's so personal. Money is, and it's just like, stay away, don't talk about that. And, and certainly some anxiousness can come in. But the, the word of God speaks to this. And we're going to touch on some of that. Uh, even though money is so personal and we need it, we need it for our lives, for our food and our clothes and uh, for our housing and all of it. And of course in our culture, our culture is constantly, constantly telling us, you know, you should spend more. You should spend more. I don't know about you, but I, I'm constantly barraged by this in the mail probably every single day. Every single time I open the mailbox, I'll have some like, you're pre-approved for this great loan. You, you know, it's a, you can have this person, you know, it's just based on you personally. There's no, you don't have to have, you know, anything backing it up. You have no collateral. We'll give you 10 grand, 15 grand, something. I look at the fine print and they're, uh, you know, the interest is crazy. But you know, I should do that because I deserve it. They tell me I deserve it. I deserve to be spending more money. Don't you? You should get that next credit card, you know? You don't have to pay any interest till 2025 and you get the greatest rewards. They will reward you for spending way beyond your means. You know, you might get 1% back. I use that. I do use that. I, you know, I'm, I am a believer in using all of those things to my advantage and never having, you know, if you it just live within your means. Definitely use those credit cards uh, if you can. Uh, control it and pay at the end of the month. Yeah, then the rewards are worth it. But uh, my, my personal uh, method is just make the, you know, make the banks lose money on me. That's what I want. They can... I would rather them pay me than the other way around. But man, the culture just keeps telling me, you deserve it, you deserve it, spend more, spend more. I've used this quote before. I've used this quote before, it's Will Rogers. And he said, too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want, to impress people they don't like. That's the culture. That is the culture. You should have more stuff to impress, you know, your next door neighbor who you really, you know, who bugs you. That's human nature. That's our flesh. But let's look at what the church was doing when the church first did it. Well, they didn't have that attitude about impressing uh, a person. 
They weren't trying to say, hey, look at me. They had turned to Jesus and the grace was abounding in their lives and they gave and they shared freely. Now, as the church expanded and it grew in this life in common, you read about the life in common at the end of Acts chapter two. Well, that changed because the church was persecuted and people were scattered. And so different, different areas of Christians began to form and Yet there was still need. There was still need amongst uh, the church. And as we talked about last week, uh, the church did get, it, it became more organized. And the apostles added structure and giving and supporting the church was all part of uh, that uh, structure. And here's an example from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first three verses Paul's talking about giving. And then when he gets into the second letter to the Corinthians, he really does detail it out. But here at the end of uh, the first letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So Paul's telling more than one local church to do this. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'll give you letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So this is the early church still, and there was just, uh, there was still just one church. There was one church. Now there is a variety of locations, different cities. This is one church with the apostles uh, still the, the leading. And Paul appealed for a weekly collection in the church so that when he got there, he wouldn't have to be saying, okay, come on now, let's, Let's, uh, let's have this collection. No, he said, come on, the first uh, day of the week, uh, which is Sunday, you know, set aside something. He was making this appeal. And the appeal was for the church, but the, the, the believers in Jerusalem. They're all part of one church, as I said, but uh, they had a need. They had a need. And so Paul wrote, he said, it's for the Lord's people. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, this wasn't, you know, th- this wasn't a government program to take care of everyone. This was for the Lord's people, the people in the church. And that's the first place of responsibility. The, the church in Jerusalem, they were suffering because of famine and persecution this is believers, the Lord's people, and this is the first place of responsibility. Paul had advised his uh, protege, Timothy, when he wrote to him, he said, anyone who does not take care uh, or provide for their relatives, and especially for their household, they've denied the faith, and they're worse than an infidel. You know, so Paul's writing, take care of family first. And that's the principle, and it's a principle for the church. That's why it's really important to be part of a church, to, to, to commit and be a member. Because if, if you're not, you're, you're, you're removed from the family of God. And Paul's saying, first, take care of the family of God, the Lord's people. They're in need. And so this is why, you know, church, we have ministries. We have ministries to help people. And the ministries of the church aim to help people, their spiritual needs, their material needs too. 
And you, may, you don't hear about uh, maybe one-on-one needs that the church meets for people, but there's other aspects where, whether it's food distribution or clothes or just helping with material needs for people, yes, that's part of what uh, we do, and that's part of taking care of the Lord's people. But we also have this place, right? We have this place, this structure, this physical building where we can gather together to worship God together, which is, you know, beautiful. It's a, on, a, on a day where it's 12 degrees out when we can come and it's warm and it's dry and we can worship together. That is an immense and amazing blessing of Almighty God and part of uh, the church is having a place for that, for worship, a place for education, a place for gathering to uh, rejoice for special times, a, great, uh, a place for just helping people in need. God has given this to us. And uh, we steward it. It's our job as the, the overseers of the church, and not just me, but those who are a part of uh, the, the staff who help. It's, it's our place to steward everything that God has uh, given to us here. And we've, we weren't the original constructors of this. We've inherited it, and that's an, it's an immense responsibility to maintain what the Lord has bestowed upon us. And so uh, we do our best to do that. In this fiscal year alone, which began August 31st, we're six months. I can't believe it. We're halfway through a, a year, but... We've invested a lot here, new roofs uh, on parts of the building. We've parking lots and concrete repairs. These are just the physical things we have to take care of. Uh, We had a gymnasium floor that bothered us for years. And finally, finally, uh, through research and such that was done and boring holes in it, there was a defect foundationally that had to be taken care of so that those that floor wouldn't be flooded out because it had happened too many times and it was fixed and we take care of the, all the irrigation and all just the regular maintenance and, and all that's part of the church. And then of course, all the ministries, all the ministries that are going all week, every week, whether it's Bible studies, prayer meetings, we have uh, you know memorial services, uh, at Sunday classes, Wednesday evening, all of it. is all these ongoing ministries. You know, we're not the church in Jerusalem. We're a couple of millennium removed from the church in Jerusalem. We are the church in Sterling Heights. Our needs are different, but we have these needs. And, and we see the principles that the Apostle Paul wrote about. There is a need for the Lord's people And part of it has to do with everything material around us. And he said, set aside on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, and what should you bring? What should you bring? Paul didn't, he didn't say bring a $112 or 66 or $1,000 seed faith. No, he said, keep with your income. He said, set aside with keeping in your income. So that's not a fixed amount. That's not 5,000 for you and you and you. No, it's not a fixed number. He didn't write everyone set aside, you know, particular number. Keep with your income. And that's proportional. That's the biblical example, a proportion 
of what comes into you. Not, not some set number. And so is there any principle for a proportion? Well, there is. And the biblical example is, is a tenth. In the Old Testament, that was the principle. It was the, it was the law. A tithing, 10%. But there were multiple tithes in the Old Testament. There was a, a tenth given to support the Levites. The Levites didn't have property or uh, land that they were to uh, pass on. No, all the tribes are supposed to help them and support them. A tenth for the Levites, a tenth given to the temple uh, for, for the feasts and the upkeep of the temple, and a tenth for the poor. So it was, you know, you could say it was 30%, but a tenth was the principle and in the New Testament, Jesus spoke about tithing. The Pharisees were hypocrites. He told them, you tithe, but you don't have compassion for people. You've missed something. But Jesus said, tithe? He said, yeah, keep your tithing, but don't lack compassion. Was a, it, it, Jesus made it a matter of the heart. Later in the New Testament, as uh, churches had been established, Paul made this appeal for the church in Jerusalem. And he, he wrote then in the second letter to the Corinthians, after you know, we read that in the, the first letter at the close, and as I said, he gave more detail in his second letter. In the second letter, which I've already alluded to, where in chapter two he's like, there's ravenous wolves. He didn't use exactly that language, but that language fits for today. He said, there's these peddlers of the gospel who are doing it to line their own pockets for their own profit. That's uh, chapter two. But later, he gets to chapter eight and nine. He writes about the Corinthians giving. He commends them. He, he told them, I know you've got, you had an eagerness to help. You have a generous gift. And, and he wrote this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter eight, and it's verses seven and nine. He wrote, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He spoke about the grace of Christ. Again, I mean, this is what this is what had hit hearts. There in Acts chapter two, where people were just like freely selling their things and presenting the proceeds to the apostle, the apostles. Paul Paul for, goes further with his encouragement in uh, the next chapter, chapter nine of Second Corinthians, and this is verses six and eight. He says, "Remember this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly." Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And this is where you get this seed faith nonsense that people really twist. But, you know, Paul's just saying, listen, if, you know, uh, it, it's a matter of your heart here. And if you, you give, you, it, it will be returned. And it's an amazing thing. But God will do it his way. He said, each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And this is where the blessing of God is going. So you have these hearts to 
you know, do more for the kingdom. This is what he's talking about, this good work. And it gets to the, it gets to the core here. In, in this ninth chapter, he gets to the core of the importance of excelling and what he wrote in the previous chapter, excelling in this grace of giving. It's about the grace of Christ Jesus. He's, you know, Jesus gave up everything. He wrote he became poor so that you could be rich. Yeah, rich to, we've inherited eternal life. There's nothing better than that. I mean, that's what we have gained by coming to Christ and it's priceless, eternal life. So how, how, did, how does that impress a heart? Well, Paul wrote each of you, give what you've decided in your heart. Not reluctantly, not because you're being forced to do it, because God loves a cheerful giver. Giving and generous giving, it boils down to a matter of the heart. Unless and until you grasp that being a cheerful giver. Where it's truly in your heart, where it's a joy, where it's a joy just to release to God's kingdom. You're going to always battle, you'll always have a struggle with letting go. You can never really connect with something like the concept of a, of a proportional principle like a tithe. And I have two stories I just want to share with you about uh, a couple uh, who've, who've grasped uh, this concept. And one is, it's a, uh, someone here in, in the church and uh, in their tithe envelopes, there would often be a little picture. And sometimes uh, this, this person might drop them off at the office. But I don't ever, I don't ever open envelopes. It's, not, I, it's nothing that um, I do. I don't know and uh, don't want to know, uh, you know what, where people are at. That's between you and God. Decide in your heart. But I'd get shared Sometimes this little picture, like a little hand-drawn picture, and it'd typically be something from the Bible, something biblical, and they're just beautiful. It's like, wow, this person puts them in their tithe envelope, and yeah. Well, I so word got back to this person that somehow I had, I just, it, it touched my heart, right? And I, I received this note and another little picture. And this was to, to both Julie and I. It, said, Dear, it says, Dearest Pastor Pat and Julie, I heard that you liked my little drawings I send with my tithes. So I made you and your beautiful wife bookmarks. We can always use these. And this is just one. It's one. It says, uh, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 42. And so it's, it's, a, it's a bookmark. I can use my Bible on this. This individual just blesses us, and that's in their tithe envelope. But then one day, I, got, I, I received um, another drawing. And this one just really, it really touched me. Again, coming in, a, in an offering envelope, a tithe envelope. And it was an image, uh, which you'll see on the screen, of a woman drying feet with her hair. And yet, so to me, that's Jesus. And that's, uh, you know, a woman drying his feet. And it, of course, 
Now that's a, a biblical reference to the, the woman who came to Jesus and just cried at his feet and then you know, dried his feet with her hair. And it said on this, on this little image, I deserve nothing, but God gave me everything. And you, and you see that? See that little smile? You see, can you see the smile? I just, I saw the smile and I'm like, wow, now there's a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver who has grasped this. God gave me everything. And it just brought tears to my eyes. This in, in a giving envelope, but I know it's a person who's cheerful. And that struggle, there's no struggle, there's no, there's no battle going on. Uh, but just cheerfully given to the kingdom. And now I have another, another testimony of someone who's grasped this and uh, firmly, firmly has taken hold of this vision to excel in the grace of giving. And uh, she shared it for us uh, in a video that we're gonna, we're gonna share with you right now. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's, that is totally transparent. Now, I heard Rhonda had a, a story and I, I didn't know the details. And when I saw that video, I was like, wow. And she has just been, just share that. Just share it. She's totally, totally uh, transparent about, uh, you know, that struggle. That struggle, but also coming to the place where she just grasped the hold of this, this idea. You know, 52 years, but she's there. Give what you've decided to give. And no longer, there's no uh, compulsion. There's no, like, somebody telling her, you got to do it. Uh, because I, I know, I understand uh, that struggle. And uh, I, I had that struggle early in my life. And um, when the day came where both Julie and I, and we, we just came, and we were in our later 20s where, and we had heard a, you know, from the word of God, and it, it penetrated us. And since then, we've just, we don't even look back. And the struggle can be there. And if we struggle, and if we say, well, you know, tithing, it really isn't in the New Testament. And Paul did write, you know, I can decide what's in my own heart. If, if we begin, that, it, that's the battle. You know, we'll have this struggle of being a true cheerful, unreluctant giver. And, you know, Acts chapter 2, it said of that early church, they had glad and sincere hearts. Glad and sincere hearts that they sold their homes and their possessions and just said, hey, you guys need this. You got to get this church going. The early church had excelled in this grace of giving. They yielded everything, their lives, their resources, and that is truly an act of worship. It's a response to what God has done for us. It is this response that says, you know, God gave me everything. I deserve nothing. All we have, all we have, all we are, we are not our own. We're bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. And a heart responding to that grace that Jesus has poured out upon us. That's not a heart that grumbles. It's not a heart that's, 
Like, oh, doesn't say that, or I can, you know, or, you know, really strain in at exact numbers. Uh, no, that's, it's not a heart that sows sparingly. It's not reluctant when your heart's been touched by Christ. No compulsion. And so what does it mean in actual practice? It's responding to that grace and realizing I can never, I could never, ever, ever give enough to, to repay what Christ has done for me. But there's been principles laid down in his word and Jesus himself talked about it. And, and it's that of giving a measure, a portion to his kingdom, a portion and, you know, that, that principle of a tenth has been put in so many times and willingly, contentedly, freely, cheerfully, always, always remembering that that measure and that portion it really, if, if we're completely free with it, the, the greater principle is it's an act of worship. It's a response. Oh, Lord, look at how you've blessed me and what you've done for my life. And when we take a hold of that, you know what we're doing? We're doing what the church did when the, first, the church first did it. And beyond material things, hospitality like Lydia and the jailer, giving anything, it's no longer a fight. It's not a burden. You know, for a Roman guy to say to the Jewish people, come on in, I'm going to give you a meal. Totally unheard of, but he was rejoicing before Almighty God. His heart had been changed. So we're going to do that. We're going to acknowledge, we're going to acknowledge giving. We're going to acknowledge um, the giving that all you have done and continue to do. And we're going to do it somewhat differently. You know, since March of 2020, we haven't passed a plate here in any of our services. And it really, you know, it, it hasn't affected the church in the sense of we're still paying bills and all that. But we no longer highlight it. When the plates were passed, this was a time to highlight and acknowledge an act of worship to God. And you know what else it was? And it's something that I'd been thinking about and it's really, um, it's been weighing on me a little. Was It was a great example for our families and our kids. I remember plates passing in front of my family and my own children saying, let me put that in. Let me put that in today. Sometimes we had to have two envelopes so that our kids would, you know, they each could. But it was, a, it was an example to teach. And when they began to maybe babysit, I remember, Dad, I made $9.25. How do I put 92 and a half? Go 93. It's okay. Go a dollar. But there was an excitement to have now then their own envelope and to give and to support what God was doing. And I think to some extent we've missed that a little bit since 2020 of March or, or March 2020. 
So we want to acknowledge, we're going to acknowledge giving in our services beginning today and, and every week. And this is how we're, this is how we're planning to at least acknowledge our, our act of worship. You know there's boxes out here in our lobbies, and many of you, I know, the first thing you do when you come in, you're like, I'm giving. So um, I'm going to ask that those, um, those boxes that they're emptied and just brought forward right now, that they would, it, what, what's been in them would be brought forward. And we're going to do this every week. We're going to empty those and bring them forward to take some time to pray and acknowledge uh, God's blessing and to thank him and to ask him to help us to steward this properly because this is your gifts to his kingdom. But I know many of you, you give online. We can give now. We can give by dropping in the, the giving boxes or stopping at the church office. But many of you give online. And, and, and I know that's, when we first started this online thing, people were like, oh, I don't know, because I like to put my envelope in. So what do I have here? I have today, I asked that for the week, today that we would print, what was given online this week from last Sunday, the first day of the week, till yesterday? This is a statement. I don't know. I don't see it, but it's in here, and it's a statement of all the online giving that you've done for the week. We want to acknowledge that. I'm going to hand it down here to be put in the envelope. And we want to make this a practice every week, just to acknowledge and to thank God this is to his church. And, and ask his blessing to be upon everyone who gives. So let's close our service like that today. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand and let's pray over our offering today, which was put in the boxes. And you know what? If you didn't and you were planning on, hey, I'm going to drop my envelope in on the way out, you, know, you just raise your hand right now because we're going to pray over your giving. We're going to pray over your giving. We're going to just ask God's blessing like, like Paul wrote uh, in 2 in, in Corinthians that, that God blesses and he will um, bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. This is what he's writing about God's blessing for those who give. So let's pray, and I'll just ask this too. If you're struggling with this idea of like releasing to God, go seek him. I'm not gonna shake you by the, the feet and tell you, you know, that 2 Corinthians 9, 6 tells you this, so you should write a $96 check. No. And since it's 2 Corinthians, double it. No before God. Just go before him and say, Lord, I need help with this. Help me. Help me to be cheerful. Help me to be, to, 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 to totally, totally be at that place of he gave me everything. I owe you everything. I deserve nothing. You, you, do that. Do that between you and the Lord. And let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the faithful, faithful, faithful people here, part of your church, the Lord's people, as Paul wrote, the Lord's people. 
thank you, God. Thank you for all that they do to sustain and keep the physical and spiritual things that go on in your church. God bless them. Bless them abundantly, Lord, and meet every single need that they would have every need met and they would abound in good work for you. Thank you, Lord, and bless these gifts that are right now before this altar, the ones that have been given to you today and throughout this week. Lord, we acknowledge your faithfulness. We acknowledge that you have blessed us beyond measure. We acknowledge that by your hand, we have everything. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Continue to show your faithfulness to this, the church in Sterling Heights, this local church, Bethesda. And continue to just bless everyone who, who has a hand in it. And they're giving to you without compulsion. Lord, they've decided in their own heart and they're just giving to you. Thank you for that, God. We are truly, truly grateful. And now, Lord, may that abundant blessing be with your people as they go. Keep them safe and warm and just bring them back, Lord, to this, your church, to worship you and bless your name again. We, we put it all into your great and wonderful hands. Father, in the name of our loving, gracious Savior, Jesus, amen, amen.